Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Oh, with the pretty boy, Tony. Yeah. Hey. Right. Okay. Hey, Tony. Yeah. Hey. That's nice. Listen, listen to this. I don't want to keep Tony waiting. Conversations about collaboration. Episode 21, Firebrand, Tony Cowan Brown pops by for a lively chat about a host of different topics, including Slack, remote meetings, Zoom, and more. Hell, it's probably easier if I list what we didn't discuss in this action-packed episode. Let's roll. Tony, where does this podcast find you? I am based in San Francisco. So that's your that's where it's finding me today. Yeah, so much action going on there. People are leaving and 10 or 12 years ago if they were to leave then what would they do? But with all this technology out, you could work from anywhere. I'm sure you heard Salesforce a couple of weeks ago said they're going to be three buckets, fully on-premise, fully remote and then hybrid. How do you feel about that? Yeah. It's it's fascinating. I've heard the conversations of everyone's leaving um San Francisco, which is feels a bit like 15 years ago, everyone's coming to San Francisco. It's like a mass exodus is happening. Um, I I don't think we're going to see such a huge change. I think as things, and I'm using inverted commas, but as things go back to normal, whatever that looks like, and I don't think it's going to be exactly what it was, um, I think we're going to see that this these these big tech companies that are saying we're leaving are not actually fully leaving. What I do find interesting with what you've just said is all the different versions of this, of just like fully remote going back to fully in office and then the hybrid. And I know I always have tension with this because I know a lot of people will probably opt for the hybrid model because you can't expect all of your employees to sort of shift um, straight away. Um, But I think it's a dangerous one, the hybrid model. I just think that's where miscommunication happens and that's where it gets tricky. Um, Even though I know that's probably where most people will start, it's the one where I see a lot of red flags. Talk to me about some of those specific red flags. Are we talking about a lack of FaceTime and people think that you're not that serious because there's this misconception I've been fighting for years when I would leave early or on time at a consulting gig that I wasn't working hard. Well, it's because I worked through lunch. I got here an hour before everyone else. So could you argue it's a good thing in as much as we'll be judged exclusively on our work or is that just me being naive? No, I think you bring up a really good point. I, my dad had, I love this sentence from my dad, but he used to say, if I see you sat at your desk, I know you're not doing your job. Ultimately, because you're a consultant, you should be out there. You should be networking. You should be talking. And sure, there's amount of times that needs to be spent behind your laptop, behind your computer, sending those emails, doing those drafts, working on those proposals, but actually you do out and about. So he broke that myth straight away of, I do not need to see you between you know the times of 8 a.m and 7 p.m behind the laptop or behind the computer like that doesn't tell me that you're working I think that's going to be the most interesting shift for let's call them the micromanager um, managers of this idea that if I don't see you doing the work you're not actually doing the work but what I think the biggest shift that's going to need to happen is actually let's focus on output versus time spent on the project and what I mean by that is was the job done Did all the tasks get done at the end of the day? Were the deliverables met? Yeah, great. Then I don't actually care how you got there. And that's not to say 
it do whatever it takes to get the job done but it's more of trust that every person has a different process so to your point some people do really well with being sat behind a laptop and a computer and working six hours straight some people need to take a lunch break to go outside and they come back and they do the work in 15 minutes instead of three quarters of an hour um so I think that's the thing that's going to change the most um it's trusting that you've but for that to happen you need the right process in place so you need to have those conversations about let's focus on deliverables what is what do those metrics look like you and I have a very shared belief about collaboration being multi-dimensional I argue in the new book that it's not just a matter of buying the latest shiniest thing and saying go collaborate Um, something tells me you don't disagree I definitely don't disagree. And it was actually one of my favorite bits of your reading for your book, which was, it's going to be a mixture of new ways of doing things, the tools available and the shifting habits. And I think you can't just take, you can't just say to someone, okay, we're going to work in a different way and not give them the right tools. And then you simultaneously, you can't also say, I'm going to give you the right tools. Now figure out collaboration. Now you have Slack, you should be able to collaborate. Or now, you know, I've given you Zoom as a technology to meet, why why isn't the collaboration happening better? And I think that's a big misunderstanding a lot, especially from the tech perspective of we now have bought you or we've purchased the new tools, figure it out. And obviously that solves the problem. Um, and I think that's an interesting thing with tech. Tech people like to solve problems. And so I've always wondered about this is as human beings have our habits shifted and then the tech gets created as a result of those shifting habits, or is it that there is new tech available which allows us to create those habits? And I, what I realized that isn't a, a chicken and egg situation. It isn't one that leads to the other. It's actually just incremental pieces. So Slack maybe was available a year or two ago, but they've added great features that means that, that collaboration can get better. So it's like these little incremental moments of shifting between habit and tools available. And I think that's what I loved with your book. It really is that putting a stake in the ground of you're going to need the right tools. You're going to need the right mindset. You're going to need the right habits. And you're going to need that, you know, that understanding of what collaboration looks like. So many people think it's just one of those that allows for it. I completely agree. My most recent podcast was with Bill Carr. He wrote Working Backwards, the book about Amazon. He and another guy whose name escapes him right now wrote a really interesting book about working there. And I was really impressed at how, yes, they're a tech company, but they don't think that it's all about tech. So they think about confirmation bias when they interview, or they think about urgency bias. You know, we got to fill this position right now. Well, if it's the wrong person, then you've actually hurt yourself. So their approach was holistic as well. And I'm not saying that's the only reason that they've been successful, but I think it's a big part of it, right? I mean, how many times in your career have you seen a company struggle with a new tool because they didn't change something else, whether it was a business process, the culture, the people being stubborn, yeah, the the again, like that's a re, like the tech adoption. And I think you talk about that in your book as well. Like tech adoption is tricky for some people. It takes time for others. Some people are more comfortable with new technology and shifting the process and the way of doing things. And some people have been working the same way for 20, 30 years. So I'll, you know, in, inviting a new piece of software to solve a problem might feel a bit like they'll have a knee-jerk reaction to it. Um so I think that's an interesting one to keep in mind as well. The thing that I've been most surprised of is this idea of etiquettes. I, I remember when I started my first job in consultancy of someone saying, when you're going back and forth in an email, take it off email, pick up the phone, 
that should be a conversation. And I think the same needs to happen right now between Slack and Zoom and a conference call, like just understanding of this shouldn't actually be an, an email exchange or this shouldn't be a Zoom conference of 20, you know, with 20 people for an hour. This should actually be an agenda setting, an email that leads to a quick check-in or a quick stand-up. Um, and so those etiquettes, I think, are really interesting. And I don't think nearly enough people are having those conversations. It's fascinating to me to watch the young kids figure out online school schooling online and education and you can see them they're just like I'm sorry someone's not you can hear these like six-year-old 12-year-olds someone's not muted can you all mute to make sure because I can't hear the professor something that very few adults have the guts to say on a call there's generally two or three people who are muted scratching their beer drinking their coffee slurping out and you're just like this is but there's not a single adult on the call that will say hey can everyone mute because I can't hear the person that's speaking yet these six-year-old 12-year-olds are already adapting that just goes to the show like again they've been They've clearly gone through that education process. That teacher delivering their classes on Zoom has clearly laid out those ground rules of everyone goes on mute, put your hand up, use this feature, which we also need to do, I think, with adults that we don't often do. Right. Well, let's talk about that because you, I think your analogy was that if if someone's not using the tech properly or engaging in bad online etiquette, then it's almost like having spinach between your teeth. Right. How do you politely do that? Because I, I, I I can piss people off. Right. But yeah. I agree if, if, if I can't hear you or there's a light in the background and no one can see you and you're missing out. How do you do that nicely? You can do it because you've got an English accent. And you sound so polite. <laughs> I, I sound like an <laughs> asshole. You you think that, but I also have, um, I'm not very good. And actually, this is feedback I got over my career of, we love working with you, but when we work with you on Slack, it always feels like we're having orders barked at us. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting because I have a no... I have a no bullshit of, I like, I like you. Like, I'm always going to be nice to you. There's like, can we get, can we get un- that understanding? Great. We, I like you as a human being. So can we just get down to business instead of having to repeat the niceties on Slack? And you see the amount of wasted energy and time of, Hey, sorry to disturb you. Don't want to overstep, but I was just wondering if there's a thing you could know. Hey, when you get 10 minutes, can you look at this document and tell me yes or no and how you feel? I shouldn't have, but again, that's a conversation to have. Um, for me, it's always about setting those ground rules up front. And there's a and I and I see this in meetings of I love joining meetings and doing a check-in and making sure everyone's good. How's every where's everyone head at? But realistically, that shouldn't last more than five minutes. And I'd love the, you know, water cooler conversations. But again, let's figure out a time to have that water cooler conversation versus taking the time of 20 minutes, 20 people who are on an hour Zoom call, let's not take that time to do the water cooler check-in. So again, I think it's just about being really intentional and really clear of what we're trying to do here. Hey, we've got a stand-up. It's going to be quick fire. It's going to feel a little bit like having a Band-Aid rip-off being ripped off of you, but that doesn't matter. We've got another moment in the day to sort of check in on a human level. Um, but yeah, the, the spin, it really does, the thing that you... The thing with audio right now is you and I can look at each other on a video and see that I can see if my video is bad or good. I don't know if my audio is good or bad. And that's true across the board right now with audio. And so audio is that equivalent of the spinach in your teeth. You can know, you can see if your dress is, you know, looking good, or you can see if you've got, I don't know, something's wrong with your hands or My dress always looks good. Good. There you go. As long as your dress is is always nicely nicely put together but you don't know if you've got a piece of spinach in your in your teeth and it is the same with audio right now is I do not know in this moment 
how my audio is coming across to you. So again, it's that element of, I don't know, so I need other people to hold me to, you know, hold me accountable for this. And I need people around me to tell me, you're going to listen to me for the next hour. Hopefully not. But so tell me if the audio is bad. Like, let's have that conversation. Um, It just has to be done if we're going to spend more of our time on audio. Let's talk about codifying the etiquette. Have you ever heard of GitLab? Yes. So are you familiar with their open source document on all the ways to communicate? In fact, they've actually said after three messages, someone needs to pick up the phone or get on Zoom. You're nodding your head. Something tells me you don't disagree with that idea either. I do not disagree with that idea. And it's it goes part of that. Let's hear some of the rules. Like here are some of the things that we will all hold true um, so that we can actually move forward. And again, I think this is something that doesn't happen nearly enough. And it's one of the things I liked about Slack is the way Slack is set up as a collaboration and internal communications tool is when you join a new company, as long as someone points you into the right direction of here, the 12 channels you should be a part of here, the two channels I suggest going back at least three or four months to get a sense of the latest projects we're working on. It's very open and very transparent. Um, And I think this is what I worry about if we go back to that first point of that hybrid model is in the hybrid model, you've got the people who work in the office, some of them are taking notes, but you don't have that immediate reaction of this needs to be written down somewhere so that the people who weren't in the room or who couldn't be here can have an understanding of what happened in that meeting. Whereas if everyone is remote, there is generally that depository somewhere of these are the meeting notes, these were the decisions, here are the deliverables, here's the timeline, here's what was agreed on, and here's everyone's you know to-do list for the for the next couple of days or couple of weeks. Um, and so that's something that GitLab does very, very well is there's very open, very transparent. And I think that's a sh- that's actually a huge mindset shift. And I think you talk about this in the book as well, of just like, what does it mean to work today versus 10, 20 years ago? And most companies are going fully transparent. And we're seeing this on, I don't know if you're familiar with, with Clubhouse, the, the, the audio social app, but it was fascinating. I saw two people who were working on their newsletter together in an open room that others could listen into. And I thought, oh, this is fascinating. I'm actually able to partake in a real-time collaboration effort between two creators who are putting together a newsletter. And they had the document, a Google document open. They had shared the link on Twitter so you could actually see them editing in real time. And it was phenomenal to watch that interaction of these two people. And I thought, wow, that's at the fully end of the spectrum of full transparency, full ownership. We have nothing to hide. This is how we work. And you realize people actually find it really interesting. They want to know how this collaboration happened, which I think is, again, why your book is, is so powerful, is people want to know what it looks like and what it fe- what, tr- what true and successful collaboration looks like and feels like. Well, I'm getting the vibe from you that you're a very curious person. And if someone says, hey, you should check out Clubhouse, you go, well, what's that? Versus, ah, I can't deal with another tool. Uh, but you and I both know that resistance to change is alive and well. Is that something that you've encountered a great deal? I mean, as a consultant, how can you not, right? How can you not? Um, it's especially hard as a, I think, as a consultant or someone coming out on the out. There's there's huge benefit of something someone on the outside looking in because they can more easily pinpoint. You know, hey, here's where you're struggling. Here's where you've got issues. Here's where you've got gaps. I I see friction here. But to, to your earlier point, it's it's a, it's it's an art form to be able to eloquently share these um, with someone without putting them too much in the hot seat of this is terrible and this is all bad. It's more of like there's opportunities here to evolve and and be better, and 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 evolve from what you're specifically been doing. Um, 
So you see it a lot, but the resistance to change is is true in every industry with every human being, more or less. Even I get frustrated. I had this moment. What was it? I remember three or four years back when I was trying to figure out Snapchat and I was like, I am lost. I feel so old right now. I have no idea if I'm supposed to swipe up, left, right. What a filter. Why is there a filter on my face? And so you have to take a step back and realize, okay, it doesn't matter if I don't figure out this new technology at all right away. This is actually not useful to my job right now. But it was interesting for me to see things like Clubhouse and Slack and Zoom is I had that instant moment of, oh, I can see how this is going to be valuable straight away. And the moment you see that value, I think that's the moment of going, okay, let's dig in and figure out what all the different features of the tool. I don't know if you you and I, I think previously spoke about that, but we barely scratched the surface with these tools. Like oh, I think we good. did. Yeah. There's, I mean, when people think about Slack or Microsoft Teams as email 2.0 or Zoom as just a video yeah. tool, I think it's the tip of the iceberg. Right. It, 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 forget all the third-party apps or what I call spokes in the book. I mean, just the native functionality, and I'm spending more time with Teams. Um, it's remarkable what you can do out of the box, and you don't have to be a developer. I mean, it helps if you know a little bit about the tech side. But I mean, it's it's remarkable now. Never mind in five years when you think about the future of work with AI and being able to glean these insights about who's engaged, who's not, which people are dominating a conversation. I mean, there's so much power for these tools. And I understand there's a lot of uncertainty right now, but I don't know. I, I I just think there's so much potential. How can you ignore them? And something you said there triggered me in terms of it's the shift that needs to happen when you look at these tools is understanding. And again, this is something that I think ties into your book. It's like, yeah, here are not the five steps or the five secrets you need to know to be successful. It's here are the questions you need to start thinking about. And I think that's true right now with these tools is thinking about well, why did we why did we bring Slack or Zoom into the into the company? What are we trying to solve for? What are we trying to create? And then once you understand what you're trying to create, then you understand where that tool comes in. And it's similar, you know, trying to, I don't know, let's say you're trying to bake a cake and you have all of these tools. You don't need to use them all, but you know the tools you need to know that you need to use and you understand why you're using them because it's how it's going to allow for efficiency. Um, and so there's something there, I think, that that again, it ties into that etiquette of these kids that are using Zoom right now, I feel like in four or five years are going to be so smart because they are going to understand the, the questions to ask to be successful. And again, this is something that I find fascinating that I was told very, very early on in my career is you ask a lot of questions um, that might be off-putting. I was like, why? Well, people might not have the answer to those questions. Like, that's fine. But if the questions, if there isn't room to ask the questions, then we're all going to make, we're all going to make assumptions. And assumptions for me is the death of everything. If you make assumptions and you walk away and you continue working on something and someone else has made another assumption and you realize you're totally not on the same page. Whereas if you'd ask two or three questions, you realize, oh, I was making assumptions about something. Let's take a step back. Let's rework this. And we can start from a clean slate. Um, yeah, the assumption piece, it always, I don't know why it always. Isn't there a danger though, if you've got a new tool, whether it's Slack, Teams, Zoom, Clubhouse, to, we've done something before, how can this new tool help us do that versus what are the other things that this tool can help us do? To, to your point, um, imagine being able to capture all the information in a channel, whereas before, if you said, oh, sure, pre-Slack, pre-Microsoft Teams, before did someone an email, that person's not in the company anymore right? Versus going into a channel and yeah, you're still getting the information, but to your point, you can digest it at your own pace, right? You could see all that historical information. Go ahead. It's for me, it's all, and I think this has been true for all things digital and it's true for all things tech. It's 
these new solutions, tools, products, whatever they are, shouldn't be seen as an and or. So I used to have this. Do I need this or do I need this new tool? Do I need tool A or do I need this new tool B? Sometimes it's an and, so it's like an add-on. Sometimes it's a replacement, but it shouldn't always be seen as, okay, digital is going to replace IOL, buy with. No, no, no. It's let's use all of the tools available at, at, at our disposal. Um, and I think it goes back to asking the right questions of why we're using those tools. Um, Clubhouse was, is another perfect example, actually. I, I do think we're going to see interesting collaboration with Clubhouse. But when you think of no events, we're, we're missing those opportunities to meet people at events. We're missing those opportunities to collaborate in real life or to do some brainstorming sessions or even just network. And it's interesting when you think of all the tools that have been created as a result to try and recreate the online experience of an event, something that actually Clubhouse has done exceptionally well just with audio. I had a friend who threw up a, a, a room, went into it just because out of curiosity. I saw the 20, 30 other people there. He saw me in the public, in the audience, and brought me on the, the virtual stage and say, oh, let's chat. And I had that moment of oh, wow, I feel like I was just walking through the hallways at a conference. Someone waved me over had me join an ongoing conversation and I could just as well say, sorry, I've got to go. I've got a call in five minutes. And so it was interesting for me that we've all been thinking about the way to replace the online experience for these IRL events has been to have audio, visual, videos, all of these things when actually it might've been as simple as just audio content. Um, so there's something really interesting to the point that you made there. It's let's, you've got to think a bit, a little bit outside the, the box. This tool doesn't need to replace something that was existing. This tool might actually allow for a broader scope of things. Sure. That might have and it's before. not hard to envision Slack, Microsoft Teams, Zoom, adding that type of functionality, similar to, uh, similar to Clubhouse, right? Exactly. Might say, I'm tired of looking at a screen. I want to go for a walk but I want to listen to what's going on without having to worry about putting my face on or making sure my camera's right. Oh, you, what you've just said there brings up something else for me, which is, do you remember conference calls from five, 10 years ago where it was a disaster and you realized no one was listening. There were way too many people on the conference call. The line was choppy. You could barely hear. And so I think I even did this recently of, I just don't think I could ever do a conference call again. Hence why I was initially avoiding Clubhouse because I knew that my preferred medium is audio and video, and video. And then I realized, but wait a minute, the audio available to us today is nothing like the traditional conference calls from five, 10 years ago. And so being just audio allowed me, yes, to multitask, but the audio quality was so good that I felt like I was in the room with the person. So I was absolutely ingrained into the conversation and listening. It also felt very, um, beautiful in the way that people were allowed were allowing themselves to maybe be more open more transparent and more vulnerable because they didn't have the camera the camera can be off-putting to a lot of people um and you could be in the comfort of your own home so even i like i did that mistake the other day of thinking that clubhouse has just replaced conference calls when it's actually a whole different experience than what conference calls were five years ago well the neat thing is and even though it's mostly audio i said who's this person click boom there's a profile follow that person so as opposed to a conference call in which who the hell's speaking right now? Who's, who's this person? That's, that's it. And to, exactly to that point is, you know, who's talking. It's so obvious, uh, obvious on the app, who's muted, who's unmuted. It's so obvious who the moderator is. It's so obvious who the speakers are. And then you can take it down. They've at this functionality of, it's not just the speakers you can see. You can also see the people who are followed by the speakers and then you can see everyone else. So you've also got this sort of hierarchy that's really useful that you never had on a conference call. So I love this point of it's not replacing traditional software. It's allowing for a whole new 
like a, a whole other layer of things that can open you up to all of these possibilities. And then you can go and follow that person. So that's why that conference thing, I was interested in looking at Clubhouse going, this is the closest I've gotten to being in a conference because then instead of exchanging a business card, I'm exchanging a profile description. I can see who they are and then I can connect with them on Instagram, Twitter, or email. Uh, yeah. Brilliant. I'd be remiss if I didn't tell my all-time favorite conference call story. I was at a consulting firm in, I think it was 2003 and it was Friday. It was an admin day working from home and I rebooted my computer. And at the time I was a PC person and I had a startup sound, which sounds incredibly dated right now. I didn't have my computer on mute, 300 people on the call. My startup sound was from office space, lumber going, yeah, we have sort of a problem here. Well, that came out of my computer and I'm not kidding, 300 people just stopped, right? And then finally, one person sheepishly says, what's the problem? I could not have planned it any better. It was hysterical. That's how you get people to pay attention. (laughs) I didn't last that much longer. Tony, I get to add it here on this. Uh, What book are you currently reading? Oh, that's a tricky one. I obviously yours that I'm half, as I was saying to you, I'm halfway through finishing it completely. Uh, and I like, I like taking notes when I read and then I'm working, um, I'm thinking about potential future projects and one of them involves Formula One. So I just started reading a book called The Pits and the Right Stuff, uh, both of which are focused on um, pit entry lanes and the the history of Formula One. Um, So on a completely different topic, but it's another perfect example of the evolution of technology and how, you know, how people collaborate. One of the things that I love about Formula One is this idea that the cars go around the track shore and they enter the pit lane and they can get four wheels changed in less than two seconds. And I always have this thing of what can I do and what can I achieve in under two seconds? And when you talk about collaboration, it's perfect that this is very pertinent question you ask. Because when you talk about collaboration, this is 22 people doing a task in under two seconds. And so you think of the communication and the practice and the transparency and the honesty and the trust needed for 22 people to work simultaneously on one task and get it done in under two seconds. Like that is the ultimate goal of collaboration, um, which I'm just thinking about right now as I'm talking with you. We've got a title for the episode. Tony, thanks for taking the time. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Phil, for having me. This is great fun as ever. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not, please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However... If you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not, please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.